Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang. It's time now for Why It Matters. A bit of a look back this month because it marks 20 years since REITs first made their debut here in Singapore. And they're very popular with investors these days. I mean, it might actually be hard to imagine, right, that the first attempt to launch a REIT actually failed. Yeah, believe it or not. And that was Sing Mall Property Trust in 2001, the predecessor of Capital Land Mall's Trust in 2002. The portfolio comprised three properties. We're talking Tampanese Mall, Junction 8, and Funan, the IT Mall. And I'm talking about the old one here. Hey, quite popular, if you think about it. So why didn't it take off? I'm curious myself. Let's take a look back down memory lane, in fact, to look at some lessons as well as look ahead at how blockchain is emerging as the future for property investments. On the line with me this morning is Chu Oi, who is the CEO of Attics. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Hope your uh, long weekend went well. <laughs> yes, it was nice to have a long break. Yeah, and, and it's interesting too because we're getting reports this morning that a lot of people are out in malls. So you would naturally think that it's a sure win. You grew up during the development of the REITs market. So it's something you're very familiar with. I mentioned earlier on Singapore's first REIT that was attempted to launch Sing Mall <laughs> actually failed. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this? What happened here? Yeah, I mean, those were interesting days. So it's a great walk down memory lane, as you said. And I think what happened at that time, the rules were quite new, right? And Singapore government was quite keen to develop the market MAS that come up with the big rules. It wasn't actually a very new asset class. In fact, the U.S. had it for some decades before that. Australia had also run its own property trust regime for a while. And I think where Singapore saw the benefit of investors owning real estate and therefore, you know, wanted to create a regime that was appropriate for uh, investors here, all right? Mm-hmm. And it was uh, still very new. I, I remember we had launched the rules right around the same time as Japan as well. I think we weren't sure what was the reception of the asset class. We did observe that it had evolved very much over time for U.S. and Australian investors. And we knew that in the right structure, that it would really be beneficial to an investor's portfolio, whether you were an institutional investor or a retail investor. Right. But was there, I mean, some sense of confusion in the sense that it sat between bond and equities? You look at it, it's a bit of a gray area in that sense. Yeah. Yes, I I think that in the beginning when it was designed, investors were still very unsure what it was. Was it a bond? Was it equity? I mean, Mm. in reality, it was equity risk of Mm -hmm. a portfolio of assets, right? But it was distribution paying and it committed to regular distributions, which is also quite unlike a company, right? A company depends on the payout ratio and the profitability every year. Here, you were kind of making some assumptions and forecasts as to you were paying, let's say, 5% or 6% per annum. So it, I think it created a lot of confusion. There obviously were many other factors in the market as well that I think was perhaps not the ideal time to launch a completely new product. Right. Okay, so 2001, and if we are talking about timing, which is what I was curious about. But then 2002, there was a push. Try again. We had Capital Land Malls Trust. That went pretty well. You're one of the pioneers of the REITs industry. So what went on behind that decision to try again? Well, I, I was not a fortunate front row seat, but from <laughs> observing enough. the market, because everybody was watching to see whether yeah. the base would take off, right? Yeah. So we watched the first deal with a lot of interest. 
and it was actually the same. It was the same property. It was the same sponsor. It was capital land. I think, you know, as I mentioned, there were many factors in 2001. One of it was whether the market was the right timing because, you know, we're just coming. I think it was really sort of at the tail end of the dot-com bubble bursting. And so markets were actually still quite volatile. 9-11 had just happened. I yeah. think it was uh, both happened in Q4. And again, as, because it was a new asset class, it kind of wasn't a perfect stop, right? People were not sure what it was. It wasn't the right market to carry a deal through. But, you know, I have to give the Capital Land Management a lot of brownie points for really re-looking, researching, taking the product off the shelf, for example, and saying, this is not the right time. Let's tweak it. Let's give it more time for us to educate investors. And then relaunch in a market that was much more benign, right? Obviously, mm. and, and supportive of this. And so they took it back to the market in 2002. They, I think, did then a lot of education with both at the retail level and the institutional level, just sort of educating what the asset class was, the benefits of it to the portfolio, and, you know, relaunched it in a market that was much more clearer and much more supportive of a new product. And, you know, mm-hmm. that got done. Again, it was the same portfolio. They did some tweaking to leverage, you know, brought the yield up a little bit changed its name so that it referenced its parent company and therefore people more comfortable. Oh, this is a capital land trust. So therefore, you know, it was good. And, uh, and off they went. Yeah. You know, it's funny you talk about education and that's so important, right? When you're trying to launch new products and create this space. When anyone asks me what's good to invest in Singapore, I don't know why I automatically say REITs. Talk to us a little bit about that evolution of this education of REITs here in Singapore over the past two decades. Well, one of the most interesting and I think why the retail read would have been the first one to come out, everyone walks through these malls, right? You kind of walk through and you experience a retail mall, you know, as a normal person sort of going about your day. And therefore, real estate, it's, it's a bit like a residential. So why do a lot of investors actually end up, you know, investing in residential real estate? It's because they understand it. They understand rent. They understand, you know, maintenance. So they understand all these little things that go into investing real estate. And therefore, retail and then, you know, there was office and then there was industrial. Sender Street was one of the first few that came out. And again, that took some education for the team and the banks to actually explain the stability of industrial real estate, right? Why were they appropriate for investing? And I think REITs, because the underlying real estate all have what we call lease tenures, right? When you lease an asset, you lease it for, what, three years, five years. So there's a stability there. And it's also very diversified. You generally, I mean, there are very few REITs that have single tenants. But multiple tenants in different sectors provide that stability of cash flows. And the ability to pay a cash distribution every, let's say, uh, six months or every quarter or every year. And, you know, investors are like, okay, I'm getting actually cash back. What it does is it optimizes the risk return profile of investors. So they can then buy REITs, which are safe and have dividends. But also at the same time, then they can look at a higher growth and maybe stocks that have higher volatility. Right, right. Five years after the launch of Capital Land Mall Trust, you were involved with launching Parkway REITs. This was the year 2007. What motivated Parkway Holdings to create this REIT? And tell us a little bit about your experience with regard to the response to it. Yeah, I think <laughs> we've had enough time in the REIT base by then. And, you know, it was starting many different types of asset classes. That's the thing very hard. 
how will the REIT by itself optimize or synergize with the traditional business? And malls are slightly different, right? You've got different leases, you've got different tenants. Uh, they behave a bit more real estate way, but obviously healthcare assets are also very different in nature. This is actually one of the few that have a very large single tenant, right, mm, which is the mm-hmm. hospital operator itself. Yeah, yeah. What was happening was that we saw a broad cost of capital compression because real estate became so easy to own. You understood leverage, you understood the tenant, so the cost of, of capital started coming down. And as a large corporation like Parkway Holdings at the time, one of the obvious benefits was having a cheaper cost of capital in the REIT. And, you know, that could help to fund or create monetization capabilities uh, for the listed code itself. You know, it had growing needs. It was bidding for Novena. There were many other uh, uses of capital. And in the creation of that particular vehicle, it was also very, I mean, if you think about the assets they were in, Maui Orchard, right, for example, or Glen Eagle. So very prime locations, very strong healthcare, you know, fundamentals were actually backing the lease of that property because again, then it became not just one tenant, it's actually many of the patients were coming through who helped the cash flows that were coming behind that. The read was a success. It was different. I mean obviously the education had been done by a few other reads by then. And here it was about really the quality of the cash flow. What was the use of proceeds going to be for this company? And what it also bring was not only the listed company receive a large part monetization from the REIT, actually the REIT had gone on and developed its own growth strategy. Uh, what it did was it started acquiring outside of the three uh, facilities here in Singapore and it went to Japan and it was very successful acquiring nursing homes in Japan in a very yield accretive manner. Mm. In fact, Parkway Life did manage to grow its portfolio significantly without actually coming back to the shareholders for equity fundraising. Mm. And, you know, it had clever combination of financing in Japan and maximizing their existing properties. And, uh, you know, I would suspect that today, Parkway probably doesn't even pay a net cent of rentals, as it were, because they were receiving distributions from these additional properties. Oh, wow. Could you explain to us a little bit about how we've evolved from REITs to the tokenization of funds? Yeah, well, if you observe and how REITs change the way investor behavior and the portfolio dynamics of an individual as well as institutional, it really took some shift in law and, you know, obviously the exchange to accept that too, that all of a sudden where institutional grade assets were not available to the average investor, mm. suddenly became available to the average investor. And I see that analogy today with tokenization and with blockchain because it's not so much the technology itself, but what it does, it allows a fractionalization at scale for different types of other structures. Now, you right. have to remember the REIT is this very prescribed structure for retail investing. Okay. Right, because it's listed on the stock exchange. Yes. But there are other strategies that are different. They are either not a permanent, so they're not permanent capital. So they have, for example, 10 years. They have different strategies like value add, opportunistic, where fund might take a portfolio of assets and either reposition them, do a lot of asset enhancements before they become sort of available at the REIT mm. level. And therefore, there's what we call private funds or uh, single assets that cannot be retail, you know, but it's not bad as a class. It's just the way that owners want to maybe tear down the building and rebuild a new one. That's mm. a lot of risk. Mm. Now, tokenization changes that because it allows a smaller ticket size, right? You know, there's some 
tokenization platforms who are doing single assets. There are tokenization platforms like ourselves, for example, that take private funds or private strategy and break that down for uh, individual investors to invest in. So we are opening that up to accredited investors. And obviously over time, when the rules get perhaps a little bit more advanced and the technology and the regulators get more comfortable, that's when this will be potentially fully available to retail as well. Right. I mean, that's also our push to have more volume in the market generally. And this is just my geek side talking. I mean, point of speculation, how far do you see all of this becoming as mainstream as REITs, the whole idea of blockchain or dare I say metaverse relation to blockchain? Technically, yes. I don't know how that will work out, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that is a fascinating one, right? I'm watching to see the metaverse space and how it will converge with real life. In reality, I mean, it's still very far away. Nobody really has the answer to the metaverse. But, you know, coming back to the real world, I think the thinking around that will change over time. I think where this is happening is stocks and bonds and very old world gear. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And today the idea is that, you know, you do need to add alternative assets to your portfolio. I think mm. that's the general academic view at the moment. It's no longer about 60, 40 split between stocks and bonds. So now the talk is about 80 in the public markets, actually 20 in the alternative space. And alternative investments include private funds, hedge funds, private equity funds, and private real estate funds are actually a big part of that conversation. And, you know, I think it is on platforms like ourselves to think about how do we responsibly bring on the right product Mm -hmm. and bring on the right private REIT so that investors feel comfortable investing in them and, you know, have a return that's appropriate to them and it's sized appropriately, et cetera, and the risk is appropriate to their portfolio. Uh, it's really fascinating. Uh, next two decades is going to be very interesting. Chu Oi yes. who is the CEO of Addicts on the line with me. Mr. Chu, I really appreciate your time this morning. Take care. Have a great week ahead, yeah? Thank you. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.